0: Hi everybody, I'm Chris Miller, author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for pre tirement Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. pre tirement is plan retirement early so your money, your health, and your peace of mind is there when you need it. I've been on a journey contacting some amazing experts to share with you how to transition and make these changes through life as effortlessly as possible. And today, I'm very honored to have Nancy Sloshberg. She is an amazing speaker. She spent most of her career as a professor counseling psychology, and she taught at Howard University, Wayne State, and 26 years as a tenured full professor at the University of Maryland in College Park. She's the author of nine books. Amazing experience. She's been honored by by the American Psychological Association and the American Counseling Association and the University of Maryland. She she's a frequent guest on the radio and TV. She's been showcased on one page of U.S. Today and quoted in the New York Times, the St. Petersburg Times, the Wall Street Journal. And I could go on with a list. Her book, Retire Smart, Retire Happy, were the focus of a 90-minute PBS special about retirement. And her textbook, Counseling Adults in Transition, linking Schlossberg's theory with practice in a diverse world, with Mary Anderson and Jane Goodman, is now in its fourth edition. She's currently a columnist for a magazine, Better Living, and a founding board member of the National Institute for the Ages, located in Sarasota, Florida. Nancy, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. Well,
1: I'm delighted to be here, Chris. I
0: I just I really like that title, Retire Smart, Retire Happy. And and you just have so much. I'm probably going to have to have a few shows because it seems like you are just a fountain
1: of wisdom here. Okay. Well, I've got to say a word about the title: "Retire Smart, Retire Happy." Um, and the newer book is called "Revitalizing Retirement." Ah. Well, when the marketing people called me, you always an author sends in a title, but if it's a commercial public if it's self published, you can call it whatever you want. But if it's commercially published, the marketing people really get a crack at the title. So they called me, they did all their research, and they said, they're going to call this Retire Smart, Retire Happy. And I burst out laughing. I said, are you telling me that in less than 200 pages you can get smart and happy? I said, don't you think that's overkill? But that's what that was the marketing title. That was really not my title. And then they named the second book Revitalizing Retirement. And so it's interesting to me the whole process of naming a book mm-hmm. and the author's role in that because it's really the title is a marketing tool. Right. And and so what what would have been your title for Revitalizing Retirement? Well, I don't even know anymore what it would have been. But, I mean, I don't remember what I sent in. But I know that whatever you send in, you're going to get back some modification of it because that's their job. Mm -hmm. Their job is to look around and see what appeals to people. What are they concerned about? And I think on the retire smart, retire happy, people are concerned. Are they going to be happy when they retire? And then on the second book, Revitalizing Retirement, it's – how do you, once you're retired, how do you keep the energy going? How do you keep the excitement going? So I think the titles that the marketing people selected are good and they reflect probably some underlying concerns that people have. What's your take on that?
0: I, th- I think you're exactly right. That that I have the same experience as being an author. They want to, you know, market and they, for your, you know, your the people that are your test market that are going to be receptive to the book, um, and the, you know, and I think that that's really on people's minds right now because right now they're wondering if they're just going to have enough money to pay bills, let alone retire. Uh-huh. That's That's what I really see the challenge of, and I've noticed a trend too, maybe you have on, you're, you're over there on the East Coast, but there's a big trend over here on the West Coast, is that there's a lot of seminars and workshops, and all these 80 percent are women seem to be get, go, recreating themselves. They're quitting their eight-to-five job, they're taking their passion, and they're creating some way that they can give back and serve the world. And mm-hmm. I just notice a big trend now. So, becoming fifty isn't a bad thing anymore. It's like, okay, now you're in the second part of your life, right? Right. Or for
1: some, of the third part.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You know, and right.
1: I think really it's all about you know you want to re-energize people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I know it's it's trendy to talk about reinventing yourself, and yeah. I'm not sure what that means. But I do think re-energizing so that you're uh, feeling excited about the future, excited about a project, excited about what's happening rather than sort of dead. Because I, I know a lot of professors and a lot of people who work in business and industry, they get really burned out. Right. And so how can we and, – and homemakers, who I call um, – uh, CEOs of small family businesses, um, whether that's a man or a woman, I, I think people get burned out. The same thing over and over. So how do you revitalize your life? How do you make life exciting again and uh, develop a new passion?
0: Right. So how do you do that? Oh, we have to read
1: my book, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, on the right. <laughs> the revitalizing retirement. Um, The the subtitle is Reshaping Your Identity, Relationships, and Purpose. And I talk about your psychological portfolio. Now, I know you deal with money issues as well as psychological issues. Mm -hmm. And everybody, you know, is concerned about their financial portfolio. They rebalance it. They check with their advisors. And I found that your psychological portfolio needs rebalancing. And that's just as important. And that's what the the Revitalizing Retirement book is really about. It's about how you deal with the three important issues. How do you deal with your identity? Because that's number one. How do you deal with your purpose? How do you develop a new purpose and how do you reshape your relationships so that's what- what I think uh I've tried to do in the book is take each of those identity relationships, purpose, and look at them and look at ways that you can revitalize them.
0: That's great. I really like the way you you talk about the psychological portfolio that is that's delightful because. It, you know, I say all the time, pre retirement, plan retirement early so your money, your health, and your peace of mind is there when you need it. And I really stress peace of mind because what good is a million dollars if you don't know how to enjoy yourself?
1: Well, your I entire? interviewed a lot of people for both books, but I interviewed, actually, the interview was for the first book, Retire Smart, Retire Happy. And he was a CEO of a Fortune 100 company. And he said to me, retirement is hollow. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he hit the table. He said, that's not hollow, but what I'm experiencing is hollow. Now, he had a pension of a million dollars a year. Forget his income. His pension was a million dollars a year. Oh, boy. I mean, can you imagine? And he felt the hollowness because he had never thought about the psychological issues and what he was going to do with his time. I guess he assumed, I don't know what he assumed, but things weren't the way they had been. He he had lost his power. He no longer had, uh, he had an office and a secretary and all the money in the world, but he didn't have anything to do.
0: Right, exactly. And I think that's, that's, that the way you've divided it up in identity, purpose, and reshape relationships. relationships. Right. Is that purpose? It it just does miracles. If you if you have a purpose in some way you can help people. That's what I see. After fifty, you take your passion and you see what how you can take that and do what you like to do to help people. It gives
1: you a reason to get up in the morning, don't you think? Right. Well, you know, one woman said to me. She said I used to help organizations develop um, strategic plans and I need to develop a strategic plan for myself I don't have a plan but I'll tell you an interesting story this was not an interview for this book this happened a long time ago and it's it'll just illustrate the importance there was a woman who was a baby nurse she had an eighth grade education a wonderful woman, very nurturing. She took care of little babies, you know, for a few weeks or months, uh, as long as the parents needed it. Well, she had diabetes, and she had to retire. Actually, she had a leg removed, and once she was, and so she was homebound, and she didn't know what to do with herself because her work had, and her love and her passion was taking care of these little babies, and. I'll tell you, it took two of us. We couldn't figure out at first how to help this woman because she was such a loving, wonderful person, and she now had absolutely no purpose, and she didn't have the mobility or the ability. I mean, what could we do with her? And so finally it took two of us, two counselors and one client. We talked to a local hospital, and... They came to visit her and asked her, we had suggested this, asked her if she would do follow-up calls to patients when they had, after they had been released from the hospital. Now, I've read things about that recently, but this was, oh, this was like 15 years ago. Well, I cannot tell you what this did for this woman. She kept saying, you've saved my life, you've saved my life all we did was figure out a small way that she could still feel useful right mm-hmm. exactly
0: that is that's so wonderful i i had a have a really good friend who was a professor and when she retired at 65 she had a complete stroke and now is bedridden uh. she has one
1: hand that works and nothing else so uh. Yeah, that's through. the problem. Yeah. And that happens more and more. I have a chapter in the book, my favorite chapter, if I can say, I mean, because it's such an interesting concept. It's yeah. all about mattering. Uh-huh. Um, and I'd love to talk about that if this is yeah. a good time in your program. You. Please, yes. Okay. There was a distinguished uh, professor from the University of Maryland, Mar- Morris Rosenberg who wrote a wonderful uh, excellent paper on mattering and he did an analysis of delinquent boys of what differentiates non-delinquent adolescent boys from delinquent ones and he said it was the non-delinquents felt they mattered they felt appreciated noticed depended upon and he had a throwaway sentence in this paper saying In retirement, many people no longer feel they matter. And so we did a lot of work on mattering, my graduate students and I, and the degree to which uh, and how important mattering is. For example, we looked at adult learners and retention. And if the adult learner in school didn't feel he or she mattered to the institution, they'd drop out. Well, the whole concept of mattering in retirement, I think, is a central concept. If you no longer feel appreciated, excuse me, I'll turn my my cell phone off. If you no longer feel appreciated or noticed or depended upon, if you're sort of marginalized, you can be very depressed. So to me, the central issue that we all have to work on is how do we matter how do we ensure that we still matter? What can we do to make sure that we matter? And that's not easy to do. No. No, that that is that's really a
0: nice that's really a nice way to put it. In fact, um Brendan Bouchard had a, has a in his book The Millionaire Messenger, was about did I matter and he had an end of a life experience and that was what came to him is You know, you're standing
1: there, and really what is important is, did I matter? Well, and it's not just did I matter in the past, but do I matter now? Right. In other words, you can do all the uh, looking back at your life and studying your photographs and doing a lot of things, but what matters is do you matter today? You know, you know you mattered at work, or I hope you mattered at work, but what about today? Uh, now that you've retired, now that you don't have a platform anymore, w- uh, to whom do you matter? And what can we do about that to help others feel they matter, but what can they do to ensure that they stay, that they still matter? So I don't think it's enough to say, gee, I really did matter uh, when I was at the top of my game and I was a professor at Maryland that doesn't count today it i know i mattered at maryland but it what counts is do i still matter and right. how do i matter and what do i do to ensure that i matter that's what's important it's about today and tomorrow not about yesterday good one yeah
0: exactly so
1: so how do you how do you help people figure that out well why would you ask me a hard question <laughs> I think it's your job to the ask an easy question.
0: <laughs> Tell us everything now. Sure, if it was that easy, everybody would have it done. <laughs> um,
1: so that is that is like a a big question. I well, ask. it's a big question because it's not the same for everybody. I The chapter I have, I'm looking at it right now, is called Mattering and Happiness in Retirement. And... Um, There are several ways of mattering. You have to matter to others. You want to feel, it's your feeling that you're significant to other people, individuals, family, community. Um, And I think the only way that you can keep at mattering is by getting engaged if you if you disengage from life, if you pull back and say I'm too tired, I don't have the energy, um, and you you don't get engaged, you will never matter. You know, you might never matter again. Right. I think it, it's you've got to figure out in the community, in your community, what you want to do. What really makes a difference? What would engage your attention? What would involve you? And that, for some people, it's volunteering. For other people, it's getting engaged in lifelong learning organizations. In other people, it's doing tutoring. There are a thousand things you can do, but what the problem is, Chris, is that when you're Feeling you don't matter and that there's nothing in your life that's that worthwhile, it's very hard to get off the dime and get engaged.
0: Right.
1: And but and so I like to encourage people to go to places like the senior friendship centers that are around the country, or uh, seek out a counselor or a support group. Or form a support group uh, of other people in the same boat and talk about what you can do. Um, I'm talking to a man these days who's just given up. He's in his late 70s. All his friends have died, or a lot of his friends have died. He no longer wants to play golf, which had been sort of the centerpiece of his life after he retired. And so now, what's he going to do? He knows... That he's got to stay engaged and you know if there were one single simple answer it would be wonderful but there isn't because what engages you is not what would engage me right and I might talk when you want me to about the various paths people can take to try to get engaged
0: yeah well you you've identified six paths for retirees to follow maybe you could describe each one of those paths and the
1: benefits Right. And that was the major contribution of the book, Retire Smart, Retire Happy. But I repeat them in Revitalizing Retirement. Do you want me to mention them? Oh, yeah, I think it would be useful. Yes. Well, that's what I found is that, you know, there's no one path that people take. So there are continuers. Now, I am a continuer. I've been retired 12 years uh-huh. But I have, since retirement, written four, four more books. I still do workshops, speaking, whatever. I write a column for a magazine. So I'm doing, I mean, as my daughter said, the only thing retired about you is your paycheck. <laughs> and So I'm a continuer, but it's modified. I, I, I'm clearly not working as hard or as many hours, and I'm not doing the same thing I did. But it's a modified of what I did. Then there are adventurers. Those are people who want to do something entirely different, whether it's for money or not. And it doesn't have to be major adventure like going to the South Sea Islands, but it could be saying, well, I've never worked in a museum, so I want to be a docent. And so it's doing something different. It's and that really, see, going back a minute, as a continuer, my identity is pretty much the way it's always been. When you're an adventurer, you're sort of changing your identity. You're doing something different, in a sense, what people call reinventing yourself. Right. Then there are searchers and who are searching for, for what what makes sense for them. They don't know what to do. They don't know what path to take. And so they keep searching. Now, a word about that, all through life we'll keep changing paths and at some point we'll all be searchers. So then there are easy gliders. That is people who, and you've heard people say, oh, I've worked hard all my life and now I just want to take it easy. I have no agenda. I want the day to unfold. If I'm called to babysit, with a grandchild, I'm free to do that. If I'm called to do, if if the spirit moves me to go to an art museum, I can do that. And so it's an easy glider. And um, that's a nice place. I'm not that way, but for those people who are easy gliders, mm-hmm. there's no struggle in a way. Right. Then there are involved spectators. <laughs> and those are people... Uh, let's say, a lobbyist who's a news junkie, but he's, uh, I'm thinking of a man, he's no longer able to walk the halls of Congress, but he still keeps up to date on the news. He's still a news junkie. He's an involved but is a spectator instead of a doer. And then there are the retreaters, and those are the people who can easily become depressed. They just retreat. Uh, they can't figure out how to fi- find something that's meaningful. And sometimes it's good to retreat and take a minute and take a breath and think about what you want to do. But if it's constant over years that and you're sitting and, and never doing anything, that can be a problem. And uh, so those are the paths. Now, y- you don't stay on the same path forever and you can be a combination of paths and i think the value of talking about paths is to share with people there are many many options for each person mm-hmm. so so do you do you
0: suggest say pre-retirees that and retirees,
1: they they get linked to the options, or how do they get linked to this? Right. Now, wait a minute. I, I'm sorry. I missed the first part of the question.
0: Okay. Well, I'm now, how do pre-retirees and retirees get linked to the options?
1: Oh. Well, you know, that I don't have um, the view that most people who write about retirement have. Okay. Everybody writes about retirement, and you've got to plan early in and in advance. I'm not sure that works for a lot of people. If you're very engaged in your work, you're not going to pay attention to planning for your future, even though you know on one level it's probably right. a good thing to do. So for many people, they wait till they've actually retired, um, and then start thinking about what they want to do. But if you're one of those people who can plan ahead, um, there are many many workshops but they don't focus on what i'm talking about most of the workshops don't but i see this period in your life as part of your career development is i see a similarity between retirees and college graduates a lot some know exactly what they want to do you know, go to law school or do this or do that, and others are searching and struggling to figure it out. And I think that's what happens to retirees. And just as when you were a college graduate, figuring out what you want to do, when you're a retiree, it's very similar. And, of course, I'm a great believer in counseling and uh, talking to somebody and Helping, having somebody help you, you know, just figure out okay, what is it you all, regret you haven't done? What is it you've always wanted to do? Um, and maybe this is the time you can do it. So if you can look at retirement as a time to explore, as a time to do things you've never done before and always wanted to do, it can be a very exciting uh, project. Right. Well, you know,
0: this is kind of just brought up a question that I think what prompted me, you know, to write my book because, you know, I've been in practice for you know twenty three years and you've been a what in practice, you know, I've counseled thousands of people and what I noticed, like it was exactly what you said, is they wait till they're seventy or eighty and start their their plan, the the physical plan, the you know, where the what how their money should be set or long-term right. care. But it's already too late. And my part of my goal is to reach out to people pre-retiree to get the mindset and like you said if everybody's so busy with the day-to-day, I don't know how to leverage or get people aware of how important it is that that should be part of their daily what they're doing today is going to affect their tomorrow. Uh huh. I just wonder how, what, and you've had amazing experience as a professor, at, and all these great things you've been doing. I would just want to know what your take. How would, you, how do you reach
1: around that? Well, there's a, a wonderful book called Stumbling on Happiness by a Harvard professor, and he talks about the fact that we are very poor forecasters of the future and we spend a lot of time thinking about the future but we're really not good forecasters and the evidence of that is look at there i mean i don't have the figures in front of me but there are a lot of people when they retire move to california florida arizona and then years later they'll move back to where they were they right. and so if everybody was such a good forecaster then you'd figure out what you want to do and do it But I think what he did, and you and I probably won't agree on this, is he said the anxiety that many people feel when they are thinking about the future is debilitating. So, my take on the whole thing is if you're somebody who doesn't want to think ahead because you're so invested in what you're doing now, okay, then you'll get, let's give you some clues about what to do when you are ready. Mm-hmm. For those who are ready and want to do it, then you can develop the workshops. But I think we have to ad- recognize that a lot of people don't want to do this forecasting. And as I said, he uh, I'll look up his name while we're talking. He said, we're just really very poor forecasters of the future, and but yet we push people to plan for the future that they're not very good about planning now. Why can't I find his name? I know it begins with an S. Yeah, we, <laughs> and, we, and I'll find it at some point during the, yeah, the sounds, program. Sounds. But it's just—I know what you're saying. You want everybody to plan so that when they retire, they won't be stumbling around. Yeah, not in—in
0: in plan for what? And I know it's really hard to do what you're talking about—to think about what they—they they would do, but also planning on. Look if you you can't depend on the government you got to put a little bit of money away in your piggy bank and have you know less Starbucks and you know plan for your kids college and people just don't do it till the last minute so it's it's shocking how with something like 78% of people don't even have
1: $25,000
0: saved I mean it's it's uh it's huge. I don't you know don't quote me on it.
1: Well, and you're talking about the money part and yet it's very important to to figure out at some point um but uh the psychological part. Absolutely. I totally agree
0: because the, the I think they bo- I believe they both go together. I mean when my psychological's right, I'm bringing opportunities. They come, they show up. You know, I get blessed with it. But yeah if you're in a negative frame of reference you just don't have the right glasses on and you miss the opportunities could be right there right
1: right so your uh, the, the, the your focus in your work is is what to develop workshops for people pre-retirement or or right. what is I've it been, Chris? i've been i have been giving workshops for
0: years 20 over 20 years and my focus are big, what I call the three secrets because these are actually things that, that have been kept from the average person. For example, like you need a will to leave your things to your family. No, if you have a will, you end up in probate, probate's courts, courts take attorneys, and they take 5 to 25% of your estate. Right. Living trusts have been around since the Middle Ages. Attorneys, when they go to, to law school, they're taught how to do wills. They're not taught how to do trusts because probate is a big business. That's one of the secrets. Another one is the money the money model that they've taught everybody. They teach you go to, you know, you go to school, you learn how to make money, you get out of school, then you make money. What do you do with the money? You go to your financial planner or your banker and what do they do? They put your money at risk. So that model is about you got to risk your money to make money, and that's another fallacy. There are safe places where you can actually put your money and never lose your principal, get a 10% bonus and make 7% interest compounded. Do you think mm-hmm. anybody really knows about that? No, because that information is held withheld from the average middle class person and they're all led to believe that they've got to risk their money and go to go to Las Vegas, I mean Wall Street, right? It's what right. and that is. That's a fallacy. There are really, actually, safe places, and and these products have been around since the Middle Ages. So, and, w- and then the other issue I talk a lot about, which is something nobody wants to talk about, is seven out of ten of us over sixty-five have a catastrophic illness. We need to have long-term care insurance. We want to stay in our own home. The cost yes. is, is catastrophic. My mommy had to pay. Fifteen thousand a month for care—it's right. it's a nightmare, and people don't get that they're Medicare or they're HMOs. Or when you're younger, under sixty-five, it's something like twenty percent of people end up in in a in a
1: convalescent so, home. So, really, your focus has been on the on the financial, right? I have oh, to I tell don't. you about an interesting show I was on. A radio talk call in show. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Somebody from Chase uh, has this show. And so people call in. She's a financial person. I really love this. I'd... And so uh, somebody in the uh, radio audience would call in with their problem. She would then answer it from the point of view of the financial and then throw it to me to talk about the psychological so it was i found it really interesting because to integrate the two so yeah. that people uh can hear two different ways of looking at it even though both are are should be integrated and are important oh
0: that's great
1: it wasn't it was just wonderful oh, well, i had such I a like good time that. on the show and uh i thought it was great by the way i have found the person's name i was looking oh, for okay. and it's a book called Stumbling on Happiness by Daniel Gilbert. And then I also refer to in my book, that book, and the how of happiness. So there are a lot of books about happiness today, but you really have to take account of the finances as well as the psychological portfolio. I I gave a talk for a group of financial planners a couple years ago, and I opened the talk and I said, I don't know, I do not know anything about money except one thing I know how to spend it. <laughs> that, that's my expertise.
0: That's it. That's it. Right.
1: But I do know that in talking to people about retirement, they've got to integrate the knowledge of finances with the psychological. And see, the man who was the CEO of the Fortune 100 company, he hadn't thought about the psychological dimension at all,
0: oh well you know it's totally you know it's totally fundamental and i've you know i've had no no training like you have, but you know in the in the conversations that I have with my clients when the, you lose a spouse or you're dealing with all the problems that happen i've done it's a lot of counseling and the state of mind is you know i think it's more important than the money myself. I think we ought are. I'm going to check into doing the radio show with you. I think that's a great idea. Well, it was be fun doing,
1: because, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it just was so interesting where uh, you're talking about all aspects of it together. Well, anyway, who yeah. was it? I mean, I, it was several years, about three years ago. And I thought, that's a great idea, but I've never done anything about it. But anyway, I'm giving you the idea because you, yeah. you can get that's... it to happen.
0: Well, I would have you as the guest. I mean, you know, well, <laughs> we could do it together because you're the one that has the, the IC. Right? Anyway, right?
1: Yeah. um in terms of talking to your clients, what what kinds of questions are the most important other than money when they talk to you that, uh, about money clearly, but what else do they talk to you about? Well, I, you know, I, I find a lot of
0: times I'll be saying, you know, I'll be talking to someone that maybe that might be 80, and I'll go, oh, you've got 20 years left. And I'm so shocked to see that a lot of those responses may be, I hope not. And I go, what? Well, you don't, you know, you're not enjoying your life. And that's, they don't know how to enjoy their life, they've lost their spouse. Or they've lost, like you said, your friend. They've lost all their friends. They don't have they don't have any hobbies or activities, and they don't have a way to give back to matter. And that's mm-hmm. what I see, and that's what I wish I had more of to share with people. That that you know, of how do you psychologically engage someone so they have a life and feel
1: like they want to live? Right, because what I'm um, looking at is really older people. Uh, and seeing the creative ways they can develop a new life. It's really uh, quite... I I did a uh, one of my uh, uh, articles for the magazine. They asked me to do something for last Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. So I wrote an article called Senior Romance. Does Saturday have to be the loneliest night of the week? Mm. And lately i've been interviewing a lot of people around uh romance issues in aging and how important it is and ways that people can um find uh new partners if they are interested in romance so that's something i've been looking at and studying and writing about and it's really fascinating
0: it is there there's such an there's such an isolation
1: and yeah. Now, if I had known all the things I now know, I would have added that in the book, Revitalizing Retirement, because I didn't have anything really about that. I I had that when you retire, there, there are two things that happen to your relationships. You, you change your work relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, at first you stay in touch with your buddies, right. but eventually they disappear, except for one or two. And then what happens at home? And one man said to me, now I go grocery shopping with my wife. And I used to run a company. So one day we were in line in in the checkout counter, and we started a screaming fight about the brand of cereal she had picked. And in the middle of this fight, I'm thinking, this is crazy. I don't even care what brand of cereal or what kind of cereal she has. And he said to me, that's what I've become, somebody who cares about cereal, and I've got to get a life. And in a way, that statement that young people have, get a life, that's what we're talking about, how to get a life, exactly. either whether it's a work life, a, a romantic life, whatever it is, how to get a life you've lost right. your spouse you've lost your you know we're outliving our children today. many of yeah. us have children who have died i mean many terrible things have happened, yeah. but there are so many examples of people who are resilient and can get a new life and and that's really. All I hope that I can do is to help people see options that they might not have seen before. That's
0: great, Nancy, and I know you are. Why don't you, this is a good time to tell everybody how they can
1: get a hold of your book or reach out to you. And Well, I don't do private counseling. Um, I don't do that at all. I um it's really through my writing now that I reach people and lectures, you know, people have me come and speak. But you can go to my website and everything that I've, it describes the books, not my academic books, but it describes uh, these trade books. And then there's a section on the website that has, I forget, I think it says articles. And there are a lot of the articles that I write, I post on there the website is one word transitions through t h r o u g h life dot com so okay. it's tra- it transitions yeah. through life dot com and there is information about me i'm really not i mean i can't i, I am not looking for clients because that's not what i do right. and actually um never liked working with individuals, always liked working uh, preventively. What can we do with groups of people? How can we reach lots of people? And workshops are a wonderful way to do that. So anyway... Um, so people can uh, invite you to come to their group, right, to speak. Yeah, whatever, workshop, yeah. Right? Or read a book. or. Right. But I also have to say, my work is not magic either at all. It's, <laughs> it's just... Um, another way um, another string in your bow so books like mine that are uh, self-help books but based on academic and my research over years books like mine can help a lot of people but they are not the answer for everybody so as you're struggling to figure out what's right for you read as much as you can uh, be thoughtful Call your local community college or a senior center, and see if there's a group discussion about what's next. I've always thought, you know, we need to start groups called "What's Next" because that's the important thing. It's not what was; it's what's next. Right. Oh, that's a good that's a good line there. What next? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, because it really we want to keep people. If you have a focus on the future. You're much less likely to give up, right? Right, exactly. It, you know, I, I really,
0: I really like um, how you coined that psychological pro. You know, portfolio. portfolio. I think that's so cute. And
1: so, how but, did you develop that? What is it in, oh, in, in, I, it I just, uh, I don't know how. Uh, oh. After I did retire, oh. smart retire, happy, which described five paths. I then kept interviewing people and talking to people, and I realized, you know, it's a psychological portfolio that we're talking about, the identity. The identity is critical. Um, What do you put on a card? I mean, I trace what I put on my cards after retirement, and it's really interesting how uh, that's evolved because that's sort of like your statement of who you are today, and I think um, uh, I, I just uh, think people can be helped to think through. Boy, this is really retirement for some people. It, it's like an assault to my ego. It's like hitting at me. I'm not who I was. And and but who am I? And that struggle is so. Interesting to me, and just to be personal when I retired, and I early retired, and they didn't want me to retire because I'm sure part of it is I they liked me, and I was a good worker, but more important, they didn't want to lose a tenured uh line if so if I retire they might not be able to get another tenured professor so um they they wanted me to stay. But I knew it was time for me to leave, and I thought it would be very easy for me because, number one, I've written a number of books about transitions. That's what my expertise is, how to cope with transition. And so it'll be a piece of cake, and it was not at all, and I share that in my book. It wasn't a piece of cake, and I was just so startled. I mean, it, it took me aback. How can I be having problems with retirement when I chose to retire it was voluntary and um and and I had a hard time with it it took me about a year and a half two years to get it together
0: because of because of because you're so active
1: and you and what was hard for you was oh well what made it be- hard for me is I did a dumb thing I retired, my husband was retired, and we moved, well, to a new community. Mm -hmm. So that's the part that was dumb. I wasn't, you know, to make connections in a new community. It turned out to be a wonderful move because I love the community I'm living in, and I'm very involved now. But it was a lot at one time. And so if you do something like that, you have to just be prepared that it takes time. And I know all that intellectually, and I write about it, but it was tough for me. So yeah, right. th- that was what it, it's kind of interesting. It's like the shoemaker's, uh, you know, the shoemaker doesn't have shoes. Right. The transition expert didn't know yeah. how to do it. I
0: know, But you can see it, it led to goes.
1: interviews, focus groups, and two books. So I guess it turned out okay.
0: Yeah, it sounds like
1: it. Yeah.
0: That's- it sounds like you're doing how many books you read
1: a book a year right in the last four years? Well, not in four years. I haven't written a book in a couple of years. In uh, I think uh, revitalizing retirement. But since since I retired, I think I wrote four books.
0: That's amazing. But that's amazing. anyway,
1: um, that's just something. I don't know that I'm going to keep writing books at all. I might not. I'm I'm doing new things in my life. Uh, that are kind of exciting I'm I'm on a new uh, some new ventures myself so anyway it's just exciting because each age and each period has ups and downs and one of the books that I wrote called overwhelmed coping with life's ups and downs and that really is a book that discusses transitions and how to cope with any transition that sounds like a good one because I think overwhelm is a yeah I think it it can be helpful for some for people to to look at transitions in general and figure out how they're coping and how they can cope more creatively and effectively because that's really whether it's retirement you know uh, moving to a retirement community uh, moving to another city uh, changing careers uh, right. The overwhelm um, of changing careers
0: is huge. Yes, you know, learning new things and all the things that are. I think the time is speeding up too. It's, you know, days seem to be going
1: faster. There's right. Time in it, even though they're the same hours, it's less. There's less. <laughs> well, and with all the technology and stuff, yeah, a lot a lot is happening. But I, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm just at a very up period, upbeat period right now in my life. So, I'm, wonderful. I'm That's seeing the glasses half full instead of half empty. But beautiful. if, if my books can be of any help and solace as you're struggling with issues that I've struggled with, that problem, and that, um, we're all sort of in this together, struggling. Figuring out um, how to lead a life that's meaningful, a life where we matter, a life where we're happy. Right. Exactly. Well, that that's really wonderful. Well, you know, we're we're this was a fast hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed it, Chris. I enjoyed it very much. I'm I'm
0: really I'm really thrilled. I feel like I I need I would like to do this again i'm going to actually talk to about, find out about doing this live down the road you know maybe in the six months or so and i could i'll be able to have it live and we could do a a call in and have right a, it would be fun time. i'd love it I, that would be such so fun i, I th- thank you for the idea and I, you'll be the one, only, only one that i would do it with no you
1: don't don't say that you you know th- well i feel comfortable with you and and trust where you're going with what you're saying or something right like you know, so anyway, well, there's, you know, things, um, a, a colleague wrote a book, and I talk about it also in my book, called Planned Happenstance. Don't you love that concept? Yes. That you, you have got to be open to happenstance, but then grab it and plan. In other words, here, I mean, who knows, we'll probably never do a radio talk in show together, but the point is, the idea sparked. So right.
0: Right. that was
1: happenstance. It might happen, it might not. But you've right. got to be open to all kinds of possibilities. Right. And to me,
0: the best part about all of these shows are the people that I'm talking to and the wonderful experience that you have. To me, it's such an honor to talk to you and people like you that, you know, you've been done all these really fun things. And if everybody can share this, that's why I like the platform of the radio show, that then everybody can get that enlightenment and get, you know, where they need to go
1: because it is a team effort. We're all kind of in this together. Exactly. Well, listen, you're a great interviewer and fun to talk to. And, uh, And that's another thing I hope for people, that they can build fun into their lives. Now, that's a little bit of a problem. Yeah, uh, especially if you don't have money. But let me leave you the, with this one thought. I'm writing my next column. Okay. And um, um, I don't know what the title should be, but the concept is attitude. It's a matter of life and death. Uh-huh. And I was reading somebody's work, and they said, look, look at Franklin Roosevelt, Eisenhower, and um kennedy they would have qualified for total disability i never thought of that they were and there but here they were presidents of the united states yeah some somebody else with what the illnesses they had i didn't know that eisenhower had problems but that somebody with the illnesses they had um could qualify for disability but they didn't because of their attitude right right so that's, it, it, cool. that's what you know got me thinking now how do you get a good attitude but that's a whole other show but that right. that's what I'm I'm thinking about and somehow it just struck me well yes eisenhower uh, or i didn't know about eisenhower but kennedy um certainly had a disability. Yeah. And yeah. Roosevelt. Wow. But they didn't let it stop them.
0: That's really a good one. Ooh, I need a copy of that one when you get that article. Yeah. That's, I really, really am enjoying where, your point of view, the glasses. That pair, it's like you have those certain kind of glasses that see, you know, that's great. That's yeah. I like that. That's
1: well, anyway, there's there's... A, a lot of fun in, uh, to be had in life, and uh, but there are a lot of downsides and there are a lot of things that can throw you. Right. So I've written a lot lately about resilience. And the question with resilience is, okay, we all know it's important, but how do you get it? Right. So all these, you know, we know what, what we need, but sometimes it's hard to get it. Right. Exactly. Okay, Chris, I think okay. I'll sign okay. off. All right, Nancy, well, it's been a, a
0: joy having you on here. And, and again, if anybody that wants to read all these great books, they can go through to your website, transitionsthroughlife.com. And anybody that wants to reach out to me, you can contact me at Chris at Ready for pre And that's K-R-I-S-R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com. Again, you've been listening to Ready, Set, Retire. And Nancy, thank you so much for being on our show today. Well, thank you for
1: having me, Chris. Delightful to talk with you. Thank you. Bye
2: bye. Bye bye. Out, you can not take the curve at 85. My whole life flashed before my eyes. I braced myself to leave this world behind. As a million questions raced across my mind Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone?